Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Welcome to the Half a Bird Sports Show, everybody. You could have been doing anything else in the world, but you chose to ride with us, and we appreciate that. It's solo weekend, so I will take the wheel myself to navigate you through the sports landscape of the hottest topics, late-breaking news, things that make no sense, and a few things that might surprise you. And as always, you can catch us on WMQG Radio Tuesdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern. So much like our Monday show, I decided to begin the show without the music and without me typically uh, doing what I typically do, which is wrapping the intro to introduce to you what the topics are going to be today. And primarily it's because, like a lot of people, millions of people around the world, basketball fans and non-basketball fans alike, who were impacted by the lives of the nine individuals who were killed in the helicopter crash on Sunday in Calabasas, California, and most notably Kobe Bryant, NBA legend, and his 13-year-old daughter, a future WNBA legend she would have been, Gigi Bryant. So it just doesn't feel right. I still don't have the emotional energy, I guess, to go back to business as usual, like a lot of people who are still struggling with this. Uh, We talked a lot about the legacy of Kobe Bryant, what he meant to us, what we remembered about him, how his death has affected us, and several other topics on our Monday show. So if you're new to the show or you haven't had a chance to listen to that show, I highly suggest that you go and listen to that as well. We really poured our hearts, our souls, and our feelings, Jay and I did, into that particular show. So a lot of what we feel about what happened on Sunday to Kobe and to the other eight individuals um, is encapsulated in that show. So, you know, as always, we still continue to send out our thoughts and prayers to Kobe, to Gianna Bryant, to their families, to the families, the lives, and the legacies of John Altobelli, Carrie Altobelli, Alyssa Altobelli, Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, and Era Zabayan. And, you know, anytime with me, someone close to me dies, or somebody who I know dies, or in this case, a historic figure, a basketball legend who meant a lot to me as he did to so many millions of people around the world, it makes me very introspective and reflective on death itself. And it has had me thinking this week about if people truly die, what does it mean to truly die? And when it comes to dealing with death or the anxiety among the living that goes along with death, since we all know that that is one of the certainties of life, that one day we too will face death. Um, And there are a lot of faith-based and philosophical answers to that question in terms of what happens to us when we die, in terms of how we should deal with death while we are alive. And it had me thinking a lot about, is is there truly a, a way to transcend death in this case? You know, in the case of Kobe, in the case of Gigi, John, Carrie, Alyssa, Christina, Era, Sarah, and Peyton. And, you know, I would contend that when it comes to Kobe Bryant, this is a sports show, so that's obviously who we're going to focus on. I would say that he's actually, in a way, he's like he's more alive now 
than he's ever been at any part of his life. Because think about it. In these last four to five days that people have been dealing with this and struggling with this, Kobe Bryant, his name, his legacy, what he represented and what he stood for, has probably been thought about, talked about, sort of studied and... I guess, understood in a very different way or more so than it ever has been because of the tragedy that happened uh, to him and the others on the helicopter with him. And, you know, I would say that to live, to truly live is to influence others, is to let people know who you are, that you're here, why you're here, and to truly make an impact on the world, even if it's just one person in this world whose life you make an impact on. So I see a difference when I think about this in the sense of, It's one thing to be alive, but it's another thing to live. And these are sort of my own personal thoughts and opinions, not connected to any sort of faith based philosophical construction of what it means to truly live or what it means to truly die. And like I said earlier, we all know that there's going to come a time where we are no longer alive. But I've always wondered, especially in times like this, if there's a way for us to truly go on living even though physically we are no longer alive. And when it comes to the the families, the friends, the colleagues of these individuals who passed in this helicopter crash, who knew them personally on a one-to-one basis, this is probably not a discussion that they want to entertain. And I can totally understand that. And I think that that's totally okay because for them, they're in so much pain, so much agony, so much hurt and asking so many questions about why this happened to them and the persons and the people that they loved, that this type of discussion in terms of how to transcend death is not going to have as much meaning to them. And I know how that feels, you know, in losing my father to cancer, April 7th, 2015, this would have been a discussion that I would not have wanted to hear as well, because I was in, in too much pain and trying to make sense of all this and to reorient my life without my father my family had to go through the exact same struggles and we still do because we were incredibly sad when that happened obviously and I continue to be sad for my father in terms of how much I miss him in terms of how much I wish he was still here and anybody connected directly really or indirectly to either of these nine individuals is going to sort of suffer that same sadness for the rest of their life but that's now a part of their living and if you live long enough no matter who you are eventually that type of sort of sad centered suffering is going to be a part of your life because that's living so I feel like my part when it comes to Kobe Bryant and to me it should be anybody's part who who knew who talked to who learned from who cared about any of these individuals who died in this helicopter crash it's almost like the burden is on us to carry their legacy and what they stood for. So you might be asking, okay, how do I do that? Especially if you're like me, you never met Kobe personally, but as a sports fan and as a man, he had an impact on your life and you now truly realize that. How can I carry their legacy on? Well, you have to look at what the individual leaves behind that you can use and that therefore, in a sense, is your way of carrying their spirit throughout your life, throughout how you treat people, throughout how you think, throughout how you love others, throughout how you, I don't know, conceive of what it means to be a truly good person. So with Kobe Bryant, we have his entire basketball career. You know, we we have it on tape. We have every shot that he ever took, every game he ever won, every game he ever lost, every championship that he ever won. We have all of that. And through his career, as I talked about on Monday's show, through the way he played basketball, 
we see what greatness looks like personified. We see what hard work looks like. We see what the love of one's craft can look like and sort of the pinnacle at which they can reach it if they are as passionate about whatever it is that they're that their passion is. And if they put in the work, the effort and the belief as Kobe did, then you can be just as great at what you do as what he was with the game of basketball. So he left us his entire career. He left us his uh, short film, Dear Basketball, that won an Academy Award. I believe it was either in 2017 or 2018. He left us that. He left us to me, and this is one of the reasons why he had such an impact on my life. He left us his book, The Mama Mentality, which is basically his his approach to playing basketball, how he made himself into a great player. And it's everything from how he trained, from how he studied film, from how he broke down the nuances of individual star players of his era who he constantly faced in the regular season and in the playoffs in terms of how he guarded people defensively and what he was thinking as well as how he attacked them offensively. And in this book, the thread underneath it basically is what I said, is how to achieve greatness. And that's what he left us with, not just why he loved the game so much, but how he became great at it. So you can turn to any random page in the mama mentality. And I've had this book for several years now. Put your finger on any part of the book and wherever your finger lands, you will find something that you can use in order to make yourself either a better person or better at what your passion is. So he left us that he, you know, he left us his the memories that we all have. And obviously his family has more memories of him than anybody, but he left us those. And what our job is, is to take from everything that from any exposure we ever had to Kobe, whether it was his game, his book, an interview he did, anything like that, you take it, you learn from it and you use it. And in that sense, those things truly representing Kobe, his legacy and what he stood for lives on through us. So, you know, if there is any solace I can offer as one hurting sports fan to another, one human being to another, it's to it's to truly use what represented Kobe in a way that can in some way, shape or form turn you into a mamba as well as to you in the same approach as is such for the other eight individuals who were on the plane with them is to use what you know of them, use what you remember of them, use what they taught you and hopefully allow that to shape you into a much better person. All right, so as we know, this week is the culmination of the 2019-2020 NFL season as we have the Super Bowl being played in Miami, uh, 6.30 Eastern time between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And one of the things I really love about human psychology is so interesting is being able to use it to predict what people are going to do. Because after the conference championship games where the Chiefs beat the Titans and the 49ers beat the Packers, each to make their way to the Super Bowl, all that anybody talked about the following week, which was last calendar week, was the Chiefs are going to beat the 49ers. Patrick Mahomes is the GOAT, this unstoppable quarterback. They have exactly, they have no chance whatsoever. And Andy Reid's going to get his first Super Bowl. That's all everybody talked about that first week. But now this week, as I listen to shows, as I read articles, everybody's picking the 49ers to win this game. So how do we go from everybody picking the Chiefs the first week to now everybody picking the 49ers the second week? And the reason why is this, because with time, 
what the human mind will do will find reasons to either validate its opinion or to discredit it. So what I think is happening is that now that people have had an extra week in order to dissect this matchup between the 49ers and the Chiefs on both sides of the ball, what they're finding is that the 49ers, both on paper and in a lot of ways statistically, is the superior team to the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs have an all-world fantastic quarterback. And... You know, when you look at several key factors that will no doubt determine the outcome of this game, you see the 49ers had the edge in that category in some ways overwhelmingly. The 49ers have the better team defense. They have the better running backs. They have the better play caller. And what I think they also have, because so many people doubted them that first week, is the psychological edge in the sense of what coaches use all the time across sports at any level, that nobody believes in you. Everybody thinks you're going to get killed. They don't think you have a chance. What are you going to do about it? And that's exactly what I think Kyle Shanahan, you know, if he's smart and we believe he is, is using in order to motivate his team, in order to work them into a rage and then to direct that rage towards studying harder and preparing for this game than they ever have. And hopefully hopefully culminating in the greatest performance collectively as a team either of them have ever been a part of. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, in looking at different articles and reading certain things, another one of the glaring weaknesses in this game for the Chiefs that, in a sense, to the 49ers complements their strength is the Chiefs' run defense. They had one of the uh, worst run defenses in the NFL over the regular season. So if the 49ers can find a way to run the ball, not even as great as they have in the playoffs, but somewhere near it, then they can control time of possession and they can keep Patrick Mahomes as great as he is off the field and we know how important that is when you have a great quarterback and you keep them off the field you basically neutralize them and that's exactly what the 49ers are going to have to do because if they don't do that if Patrick Mahomes gets about the same amount of possessions that he's had in the playoffs or even more in the sense of if they're turning the ball over or they're having three and outs then they have no chance in this game because we already know that Patrick Mahomes the more opportunities you give him the more opportunities you give him to shred you embarrass you and destroy you and that's exactly what he wants to do in this game So one of the articles that I'm referencing in the sense of what helped me to take a deeper dive into, I guess, the details of this game is an article by Bill Barnwell on ESPN. Uh, He's notoriously known for writing very long articles. So in an 11,000 word essay, yes, you heard me correctly, he breaks down the matchup between these two teams. And there was a stat he used that I'd never heard of, but I think is very telling in what can happen in this game versus what people were expecting because people were saying going into this game that the reason why they were taking the Chiefs is because Patrick Mahomes is by far the superior quarterback to Jimmy Garoppolo and I mean if you watch both of these players play you probably would agree with that but when you take a deeper dive it may not be as clear-cut he may not be as superior to to Garoppolo as you think he is so in this article Bill Barnwell used a stat it was uh, we'll call it AYA it stands for adjusted yards per attempt So during the regular season, the quarterback with the better AYA going into the Super Bowl is 20 and 33, winning at about 38 percent. So what that means is the who people assume to be the superior quarterback going into the Super Bowl who had the higher adjusted yards per attempt. Um, And basically what this is, is it's a better version of passer rating uh, with touchdowns and interceptions awaited more appropriately Then the superior quarterback actually tends to lose this game as opposed to win this game. So when you throw out sort of a a nerd next-gen stat like that and just look at some of the raw figures that we tend to understand when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks, Garoppolo has the edge in several of those categories. For instance, 
between Jimmy Garoppolo and Patrick Mahomes, Garoppolo has the higher completion percentage. Patrick Mahomes, even though he played two fewer games than Jimmy Garoppolo, had 4,031 passing yards. Garoppolo had 3,978. That's fairly close. And you would say, okay, with that, if Mahomes would have played those two games, then he would have had much more than that, and probably so. But you know what? If Jimmy G's team weren't so great at running, if they weren't a top two run team in the NFL, then he probably would have more too. He would throw the ball more just like he did in the Saints game. Uh, yards per attempt, Garoppolo leads in that. Touchdown passes, Mahomes had 26, Jimmy Garoppolo had 27. And um, when it comes to, uh, I guess, passer rating, Patrick Mahomes was a 105.3, Jimmy Garoppolo 102.0. They are two of only nine starting quarterbacks who have a passer rating of over 100. So this game is not as simple as you think it is. It truly isn't. And, I mean, obviously, can the Chiefs win this game? Yes. Yes. If they get any type of run game from Damian Williams or LaShawn McCoy and they get a couple of turnovers from Jimmy G or a couple of fumbles, they can easily win this game. I said that on the last show. The Chiefs can win this game 47-20 to 20 just as easily as they can lose this game 47-20. to 20. But when it comes to physical teams and finesse teams, physical teams tend to have an advantage over finesse teams. And that's what the Chiefs are, which is not to say that they're not tough, because they are, but they rely more on their finesse game as opposed to the 49ers, who are very physical up front, the best front seven in football, who get after the quarterback and who want to run the ball down your throats as they did against the Vikings and the Packers. So the only thing that can truly beat a finesse team, especially a team like the Chiefs, who are the Golden State Warriors of the NFL, is to out-physical them, is to punch them in the mouth every single play, is to break their spirit by the second half. And that's what the 49ers are going to have to do in order to win this game. I'll tell you a couple of other things before I move on. Uh, Kyle Shanahan. You know, Kyle Shanahan, if you all don't remember, he was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons uh, three years ago when they played in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. They went up, I believe, 28-3, to ended up losing the game 34-28, to primarily because the play calling in the second half was very conservative, was very passive, was meant to not lose the game as opposed to keep attacking and win the game. So Kyle Shanahan, who was largely responsible for that passive play calling in the second half of that Super Bowl, Obviously, he has had to have learned from that. He has to understand, especially the following year, watching Doug Peterson in Philadelphia consistently go at the Patriots, is that no matter what the score is in the Super Bowl, you cannot get conservative, you cannot get passive because your opponent won't. won't. You have to keep attacking them. You have to keep going at them. And I think that that's exactly what Kyle Shanahan would do no matter what the score is. He has learned to keep attacking because you can win a Super Bowl being aggressive, but you can lose it in the second half being passive. And I'll say one other thing, too. I think that fans should be rooting for the 49ers. You should want the 49ers to win because think about this. For the majority of you, your team is either average or they suck. That's just the way it is in the NFL. There are very few teams who can constantly churn out playoff performances and go deep in the playoffs like the Patriots or generally like the Steelers or like the Seahawks or whoever it is. So for the 49ers, they had the number two pick last season, which basically means they were the second worst team in football. So they go from a number two pick to a Super Bowl, to potentially a Super Bowl victory. So fans of you, if you're a Lions fan, if you're a Browns fan, if you're a Buccaneers fan, no matter what fan of a team you are, you should be rooting for the 49ers to win this game to prove and to show you and to show the management of your team that sucks every year that they can do it too. Because for one, if you have an owner who is willing to choose a general manager and a coach and give them a five- to six-year contract so that they don't have to worry about that, and get them to work together, get them to be good friends, get them to build chemistry between the GM and the head coach, 
find you a good quarterback. You don't even have to have a great quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a great quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He's a real good quarterback. But find you at least a good quarterback and set yourself up to be able to be aggressive in free agency with spending or overspending if you have to for free agents and make smart draft picks. So if you can do that, it may not come to a head and culminate in a Super Bowl appearance as fast as it has for the 49ers, but eventually you can get there a lot quicker, especially if you suck you know, year in and year out like a lot of these teams do who constantly pick in the top 10 or top 15 of the draft. So the majority of fans should be rooting for the 49ers, but for obvious reasons, I am too to win this game. So my prediction is the 49ers are going to win this game 30-24 to 24 is going to take a late fourth quarter defensive stand in order for them to cement the victory against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, who no doubt in my mind will be back in the Super Bowl very, very soon. But that is my prediction. 49ers over Chiefs, 30-24. to 24. So we will see what happens. I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. I think there are going to be a lot of storylines. There are going to be a lot of memorable moments. But hopefully it turns out the way in which I have predicted. All right, so up next, um, off the air in our last show, <laughs> I promised Jay that I had the most fantastic Zion Williamson segment that I had ever come up with on just about any player. And this came to me on Sunday, again, as I was mourning. The only thing that really gave me energy and gave me sort of hope that day was watching Zion Williamson and the Pelicans play. I believe it was against the Celtics. And as I'm watching him play and watching how he fits into this team, what was apparent to me is that Zion is in the perfect situation. He is in the perfect place to do what he does best. Now, I could explain why, but that would be boring. So I'm going to give you an illustration, a metaphorical cinematic illustration, we'll say, as to why Zion Williamson is in the perfect spot. So let me take you back. You all know that I'm a movie lover. Let me take you back to the film Avengers in 2012. Very successful film. Very important cog in the machine of the MCU. <laughs> and um, I want to take you to the scene sort of during the climax of the movie where the bad guy, Loki, and the Shatari army are basically destroying New York. And he's trying to essentially take over the world. And all that's left to stand in his way are the Avengers. So there's a pivotal scene where all the Avengers are together. And Captain America, I guess you could say sort of the leader of the team, basically gives everybody what their assignment is in order to stop Loki and the Shatari army. And I think that's a perfect illustration of Zion Williamson and this New Orleans, Pel New Orleans Pelicans team. Because on this team, if I'm to parallel one of the players on this team to one of the Avengers, I would say that Captain America is Drew Holiday because he's one of the older, probably the outside of Thor, maybe the oldest of <laughs> oldest Avenger that there is, just like Drew Holiday is sort of the elder statesman of this team. And he's the one who truly directs everyone, even though he doesn't necessarily lead the offense, he directs everybody and tells them what they need to be doing because he's a veteran and he's played so much basketball and he's well-respected around the league. So he truly is the heart of the team, just like Captain America, to me, truly is the heart of the Avengers. So Captain America is Drew Holiday. Next, you have Hawkeye. Hawkeye is J.J. Redick. He's, you know, older individual, uh, sharpshooter. His job is to shoot everything out of the sky. And when he is open, he does not miss. Just like Hawkeye, he can't miss. So J.J. Reddick being the three-point sharpshooter that he is out of Duke, which has sustained a career for him that spans well over a decade, he reminds me of Hawkeye as far as the Avengers go. Up next, you have probably the most popular Avenger. You have Iron Man. 
And to me, Iron Man on this team is Brandon Ingram. Uh, young, yes, but to me, he has the strongest offensive, offensive skill set on this team. And that is basically what his job is. His job is to get buckets. His job is to shoot, just like Iron Man is. The majority of how Iron Man handles his problems is to blast them out of the sky. And that is what his suit, that's what he is equipped for. So I think that given that Brandon Ingram has the strongest offensive skill set, to me, his parallel is Iron Man on this team. Uh, next, you have Thor. To me, the Thor of this team is Derek Favors, who's, again, a veteran, been around a long time, tough as nails, sort of one of the strongest players on this team, one of the strongest players in the league. And he'll do the dirty work that nobody else wants to do. He'll go for loose balls. He'll set screens. He's probably the better shot blocker on this team. And he's just one of the strongest guys. Um, kind of a no-nonsense guy, doesn't have a lot to say, but when he does, everybody listens. So I think that Derek Favors parallels with Thor just in terms of how he is and what he brings to this Pelicans team uh, better than anybody. Up next, you have uh, Black Widow. I think that Lonzo Ball is the Black Widow of this team because he's very quick, very nimble. He's more dangerous than you think. Um, you know, he has an influence over the other, other Avengers that isn't necessarily apparent. Uh, and he's willing to sacrifice for his team because Lonzo Ball, honestly, with how he's playing now, he could average over 20 points, but because he knows his his heart and his skill set rest in his ability to use his vision to pass the ball and to, under the direction of Captain America, Drew Holiday, to direct the offense, that's what he does. And, you know, kind of like Black Widow, given that she's finally getting ready to have her first solo movie after a decade, um, it took Lonzo Ball, you know, a bit of a time to truly find out his footing and cement himself as a really good player in this league because he went through those two tough seasons in L.A., suffered injuries, had to deal with uh, playing with LeBron, which is very difficult to be in the orbit of LeBron on the team with him in terms of how you fit. He had to deal with that. You know, his dad being a loud mouth and sort of making some things difficult for him, and then he gets shipped off to the Pelicans when they knew he when he knew that they were trying to trade him in February along with several other players. So he went through all that, but now he's finally becoming the player that we all believed he could be as a number two pick coming out of UCLA. So Lonzo Ball is Black Widow. So who does that leave? That leaves Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson is the Hulk. So in this scene, um, after Captain America has given everybody else their assignments on how to fight the enemy presence that is invading New York, Captain America has very few words for the Hulk, but he looks to him to give him his direction, and he tells him one thing, smash. And that is all Zion Williamson has to do on this team is what he does best, and that is smash. That means go in the paint. That means unleash powerful dunks. That means get rebounds, set hard screens, block shots into the 15th row of the arena and set the tone defensively. That's exactly what he is. That's exactly what he does. So Zion Williamson is the Hulk. And that's the thing when you think about it. When you think about the Hulk, the Hulk without the Avengers is basically a movie that nobody wants to watch because the Hulk can't give you everything that you would want in order to truly satisfy you as a moviegoer. But when you put the Hulk with the Avengers, it's wildly entertaining and it's a $2 billion enterprise movie after movie after movie. So the Hulk needs the Avengers to truly be the best that he can be. So Zion being with the Pelicans where he has a player who is 
concomitant to Captain America, to Hawkeye. He's got his Iron Man. He's got his Thor. He's got his Black Widow. This is the perfect situation for Zion Williamson to do what he does best because I know that Knicks fans truly wanted Zion, and they were disappointed that they got the number three pick instead of the number one pick, which would have guaranteed them Zion Williamson and his his sort of megastar status and the hope that he would bring to Knicks fans who haven't had a championship since Willis Reed. They're going to have to get over it because he would have been ultimately miserable as a New York Knick because they would have expected him to do everything. They would have expected him to save the franchise. It would be Zion, take the ball down the court. Zion, lead this team as a 19-year-old. Zion, hit every three you shoot. Zion, dunk on everybody. Zion, Zion, Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. That's exactly what they would have forced him to do. So he's in the perfect situation. And I know he was disappointed um, when the – I guess when the lottery picks were announced, he was actually there in person and he looked disappointed. He did not look happy because he wanted to be a New York Knick because there is no market that can do more wonders for you than the New York market. But now he has to realize he's in a perfect situation. He's going to be a megastar in New Orleans. He can be a megastar there. And with this team that he has, if they continue to grow, if they continue to work together, I know they're in a bit of a deep hole for this season in order to make the playoffs. But next season, I think that they can truly make a run at being a viable playoff team if they continue to get better and continue to do what they do as Avengers, which is work together and everybody fulfill their role. No one person has to carry the team. We are the team, so we all work together. So as long as we assemble, then eventually we can save the world. And that's exactly what Zion can do as the Hulk because that is what he has been born and bred to be. All right, so... (laughs) I enjoy that. So lastly, um, as I close out the show, one of the things I was also thinking about as I was talking about earlier in terms of allowing the legacy of Kobe to sort of live through me in terms of helping me to some way to in some way, shape or form, make my life better. You know, I thought about how can Kobe live on through this show, because this is a sports show. You know, we've talked about Kobe before on the show and Jay and I both have and continue to have a lot of love and a lot of um sort of respectful reverence for Kobe Bryant and what he meant to the game that we both love, the game of basketball, the NBA. And that is this. I've come up with what I'm going to call the Mamba Award. So this will be an award that I give on my solo show, if not twice a month, at least once a month during one of my solo shows, where I feature a professional athlete who has had a great impact on their sport and on the world. Someone who, while we still have them, we need to show them and tell them how much we appreciate what they did for that game and what they've done for the world. So I feel like it's only fitting for this first Mamba Award uh, to honor someone who's still here, to honor someone who is still doing their best to be an ambassador for their sport and to help people through various ways around the world. To me, it's Shaquille O'Neal, the teammate of Kobe Bryant, with whom he won three championships with three in a row in the early 2000s. And he's known by a lot of names. A lot of people know him as Diesel. A lot of people know him as Shaq Daddy, Kazam, the big Aristotle, Shaq Fu, and a lot of other colorful nicknames, most of which he has given himself. And um, you know, I don't know how well a younger audience would understand or would understand sort of the impact of Shaquille O'Neal on the game. But one of the things to me that stands out about Shaquille O'Neal off the court, really, is how much he loves people, how much that not only former athletes or other entertainers who know him, or who have interacted with him, talk about him, but just regular people. He's such an extrovert. He's such a people person 
that Shaq will he'll sign autographs, he'll sit down, he'll chop it up with just your average person. He loves being around people. That's where he gets a lot of his energy from is just bringing joy and bringing lifelong memories just by being in his presence to the lives of others. And obviously he's impossible to miss given that he's seven foot three and probably 350 pounds. Um, so he loves people. And that's something that regular people always talk about him is just how, how lovable he is and how personable he is because not all megastars are like that. And that's fine because not everybody is that is not an extrovert. I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. So if I were famous, I wouldn't be anything like Shaquille O'Neal because that's just not me. And that's okay. Just like it's okay for extroverts to, you know, to really communicate that love and that energy to the people the way that he does. And I respect that. And, you know, growing up, obviously, he was the most dominant force that any of us had ever seen. They say he's the most dominant big man and probably the most dominant player since Wilt Chamberlain in terms of how he plays, in terms of how big, how strong and really how quick of feet. Shaquille O'Neal truly was and much like Michael Jordan he helped to globalize the sport as well so I think that if anything were to happen to Shaq just like with Kobe there would be so many other millions of people outside of the U.S. where he played mourning his death because he has helped to sort of globalize the sport by communicating the joy and the love and the passion and the benefits of playing basketball to other portions of the world who you know, who didn't grow up with it the way that we do or who don't play it as much as we do. And he's definitely had as much of a global impact on the sport as a MJ, a Kobe, or a LeBron. And one of the things that I think it takes to be a great player, what it takes to truly be a legend, is you have to change the game. You have to change the sport somehow in terms of your imprint on the sport um, would never be erased, how you change the sport forever. And he did in terms of how they had to reinforce basketball rims because he kept breaking backboards and just destroying rims at the base to where they would just have to literally, the rim would actually have to sit down after he dunked on it. I've seen him do that. You can watch YouTube clips YouTube clips of what Shaquille O'Neal did to rims, as well as the Hackershack, how he was so unstoppable, how teams just decided to foul him. They're like, if he gets the ball in the post, it's over. There's nothing we can do. Somebody foul him, put him on the free throw line, which was his kryptonite, and see if they can beat us that way. So he invented the Hackershack. That's why it's called that, obviously. Um, so you have that. And one of the things that I appreciated, you know, is, you know, sort of the conflictual, the conflicted relationship he had with Kobe. I don't think he and Kobe had a bad relationship. They didn't have the best of relationship, especially when they were players, because you have two alpha males, two headstrong individuals who feel like they both want to be the top dog on the team, who feel like they know the best direction for the team. And they fought for that. And there's a certain respect to that. And that's part of what made them great together. To me, honestly, it's hard for me to not say that they are the greatest duo in the history of basketball. I know you have Jordan and Pippen out there, but it's hard for me to not say that Kobe and Shaq weren't the best duo. Part of me believes that they were. So they had that love-hate, big brother, bigger brother relationship, and it made things conflicted even after they were both done playing NBA basketball. But that's something that I had a lot of respect for because I have a sibling of mine who, you know, we have a really, really good relationship now, but we grew up with a very conflicted relationship. So I think it's beautiful to see that arc from where the relationship began to where it is now. Just like it was a beautiful thing to see Shaq and Kobe um, do some making up. Uh, I believe there was a program that they did on NBA TV where they basically sat down, had a conversation, hashed out the majority of their differences that played their relationship both as teammates and um, after they were done playing together. So I really respected that dynamic between the two of them. I wish they could have stayed together longer because they would have won more championships. But um, it was just really interesting to see that arc. And he's on TNT now. He's a part of the, the analyst team with Ernie Johnson. Um, 
Kenny the Jet Smith and Charles Barkley, and he's a really good analyst. He's very blunt. He has his own style. He's very blunt. He's very no-nonsense, and so therefore a lot of his his critique can rub players the wrong way because it is so honest and it's so non-sugar-coated that I see how that will bother them, but that's something that I really appreciate about him. He's straight to the point, and that's you know a lot like of what he was as a player. And his charity work is something – that has given a lot to people for decades. You know, he's been very active in the foundations such as Be the March, Boys and Girls Club of America, Feed the Children, and he's donated countless homes to many people. You know, things that you wouldn't read about by doing a Google search or anything like that. But he's done so much to people, uh, for people off the court that, you know, his legacy, his impact, whenever, you know, God decides to call him home, um, you know, he will have done so much for people that, you know, he'll be one of the ones that we truly immortalize in our hearts and one of the ones that we that we truly mourn. So that's inspirational, you know, or at least I hope it is to look at how someone like Shaquille O'Neal and like a Kobe Bryant have impacted people beyond the world of sports and have impacted the world. And that's something that I aspire to do in my own life as well is to try to find a way to truly leave an imprint on the world such as they have. They inspire me to do that. And hopefully they inspire you to do that as well. So this first Mamba Award goes out to the great Shaquille O'Neal. We love you. We appreciate you. Keep doing everything that you're doing and keep inspiring us to do better and be better. And to you, audience, uh, thank you for inspiring us and uh, participating in the show and supporting the show. This Half a Bird Sports Show Solo Weekend. To the production team, holds us down every week. To Mike, Bob, and Wendy. To my co-host, Jay, always bringing the heat. To my nephews, to Rod, to Bub, to Miss Jackson. Thank you so much for holding down the show. Appreciate you. To Florence Nightingale. To Leslie. To uh, all of our family who listen to the show. To my mom. Appreciate you. Love you. So as I always tell people at the end of my shows, love yourself, love somebody else, because as difficult as this world can be sometimes to be in, as sad as it can be in, as much as we suffer, if you can love somebody, sometimes that can be enough to help you through what you're struggling with. So love somebody. And with that, this has been the Half a Bird Sports Show. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.